To the Dime, episode 10 of On Air, the Ohio Hockey Digest podcast. The Ohio Hockey Digest is the foremost location for hockey in Ohio, covering every level played from youth and high school to juniors, college, and pro. Articles written to keep the hockey community up to date on all the happenings with the hockey in Ohio. My name is Tim Sullivan. I'm joined, as always, by Jason Lewandowski and producer Dan Humphrey. With On Air, we are adding a different element to the Digest with interviews and other such content, bringing voices, names, and faces to interesting people, making the Ohio hockey community better. This week's episode of the On Air Podcast is brought to you by Gilmore Academy. Gilmore Academy is a Catholic, independent, co-educational college preparatory school. It is sponsored by the Congression of Holy Cross, Notre Dame, Indiana, and offers a Montessori program beginning at 18 months old and a lower school, middle school, and upper school. A boarding program is offered to students in grades nine through post-grad. It is located in Gates Mills, Ohio, and has two NHL-sized sheets of ice located on campus that players can access daily. Last week, we had the great excursion down to Columbus. We had a great time speaking with Lindsey Wallace, a Padua Bruin alum and current goaltender at the Ohio State women's hockey team. Just a great individual building on an amazing resume uh, from walking on at Ohio State to making the most of her opportunity uh, to her battalion commander status uh, in the Army ROTC program, uh, and to her veteran uh, veterinarian, I'm sorry, to her veterinarian studies. Uh, just a great conversation with, a, with an impressive woman. I look forward to seeing where her career, whether it be hockey, military, serving others, or uh, serving uh, the animals that we love every day. Just another example of somebody who has her stuff together. I mean, she, I mean, listening to her schedule, waking up at five in the morning and not ending till roughly eight o'clock at night with not a whole lot of break in between. And she's just plugging away, man. She was a lot of fun to talk to. Her path has been just, just amazing. And she's just a good person. So it was a lot of fun to chat with her. You know what I find impressive? And, and we've all been through the college circuit, if you will, um, that she has the, uh, the discipline to do that in the college setting, uh, not most no, not most kids would have the uh, discipline to do what she's doing, and I find that to be very commendful of her. And uh, I don't know, pretty impressive. I had the discipline. It was the discipline. Thursday night you went out, Friday night you worked, maybe you went out. Uh, Saturday you woke up and later in the day, and then you went out. Uh, she didn't have a whole lot of time for that. No, and uh, no. and that that is that is very commendable and very admirable of her and. It's very unique, and uh, she's making the best of her opportunities, man. It's awesome. Jay, you, you didn't throw in there on your Thursday and Friday night. You had the discipline to go to Taco Bell as well. Well, we had a place. Uh, I went to uh, Ohio University, so we would stop at Souflaki's and get a Souflaki, a spicy fry, and some other things on occasion. So, yeah, once in a while, Taco Bell, but that was too far down, closer to campus when I lived off campus. Gotcha. Uh <laughs> Then we had uh, uh, an unbelievable interview, sit down with 12-year NHL veteran and another Buckeye grad, R.J. Umberger. Uh, again, impressive individual when you go through all of his uh, stats, not even stats, but I think everything he did playing the game of hockey from 
his time at Plum High School to the uh, development program to Ohio State, then the pros. I think when I think when we were started talking to him, we talked about what it was 148 points uh, in a season, like 48 games or whatever the heck yeah, it was. It, crazy. It, it just crazy, you know, right? And then he takes that and and you know he spends all of his time or not all of his time, majority of his time in Columbus, uh, and then he's now giving back to Columbus. Uh, coaching in the Columbus Chill Youth uh, Organization and working with those young men and women to, to progress them as well. So great talk with him. Really enjoyed that and uh, look forward to seeing him actually up here in Cleveland for some tournaments because uh, hopefully we can start rolling here with his Chill program. Yeah, it was really cool to listen to him talk about the people that got him there and helped him along the way, his mom and dad and, and his family that was around him and how, you know, outside of going to Ann Arbor, with the development team, he never really left this area. And he still makes it a point that if something is needed or, or if he's in the area to touch base with all those people and, and help the, help the kids in the, the programs where he's from. And, and, and obviously with what he's coaching in Columbus and just that, you know, everyone we've talked to has been so down to earth and they've been at all different levels. And, and RJ was no different. RJ was fantastic. He was fun to talk to. Um, I don't really believe it was concussion brain, as he said, when he forgot what he wanted to tell us. I just believe that was COVID brain yeah. being out in the sun all day working in his garden. So, well, yeah, speaking of that garden, um, you know, I was, I was laughing because I was uh, doing some rototilling the, uh, today and yesterday uh, for my garden. I was kind of I was re-listening to the, the podcast and laughing about, you know, because he's such a competitive guy if his pepper plants don't like really thrive with four or five good peppers on each plant, like, does he just like rip up the freaking plant and like throw it away? You know, like how, is, like how does our, that work? Oh, when he said, he said, well, I, I just get it ready. Then my wife takes over and it's on her. Right. I've tried every, I've tried every, every style possible from watering every day to using, you know, I mean, I was told that my tomato plants were, had lacked calcium so i took eggshells that, that i would mm -hmm. you know i'd make eggs in the morning i'd take eggshells i'd crumble them up put them in the soil i can't win with this thing. i would suck if this was like 100 years earlier and i had to really live off of like what i grew it would be terrible i'd be terrible yeah. so the birds eat everything the rabbits eat everything I, I battle with the uh the screen that i put over that's like a wrestling match every every time i go to put it up oh the weather's no fun either you know, we're in, obviously we're in summer season here in Ohio. And uh, so it went from what, 40 some degrees to 92 degrees. And then we had monsoon season for about two weeks. It's got to be an uphill battle. Right. Yeah. So, so we'll see. I'm, we're going to, we're going to plant today. Um, yeah, I wrote a tilt and then we're going to plant today and, and we'll see probably, I would imagine by noon tomorrow, uh, the rabbits would have eaten everything and <laughs> the birds would have t eaten all my everything. So Again, this is, you know, the, 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 the way you describe insanity is doing the same thing over and over again with, diff with no different results. Well, this is what I do every year. This is like on year nine, and it, it'll ha happen, you know, um, did you, and I'll wake did up. You, did you grow anything for the deer? Uh, you told me you saw about seven deer uh, in your neighborhood yeah. the other day. Yeah. They're, they're, see, the thing is, I got a, I got a fenced-in backyard, so mm. I'm, I'm, I'm very confident that the deer do not eat my plants, but it wouldn't shock me because – Everything is gone. It's like somebody comes in and, and just takes it all. How high is your fence? Six feet? Eight. They can clear that. No problem. No, they're, what, what are they, Carl Lewis? They're not clearing that. They're jumping that. <laughs> There's no way, Danny, they're jumping that fence. What are they, Carl Lewis? <laughs> Danny, you doing a garden? 
Uh, we have, <clears throat> we try to start everything from seed. So we got a couple oh, tomato, oh. Oh, tomato yeah, plants right. going right now. Some radishes. Holistic Humphrey over here? Holistic Humphrey, the guy that's moving to the suburbs. Burb. Holistic Burb. Yeah. Whole Food Humphrey. (laughs) Um. (laughs) No GMOs. No GMOs. No. No. I mean, she gets mad if I even try to put some miracle Grow on it. So, Uh, Are you serious? Because I just actually just bought some of that. Yeah, sometimes. I don't know. I sneak it. Right, in well, again, I'll try. I'll try that to see if that works. That what's probably going to happen is the deer will probably eat that and die in my backyard, and I'll have to clean that up. So, <laughs> <laughs> I'm still waiting for the cooking segment. By the way, man, it, well, man it hasn't come down for management that we're going to do that yet. I know you got to talk to the boss, Harrington. I, I, I talked to him today, and <laughs> he wasn't budging. He wasn't giving away any information, so I couldn't get it out of him. I mean, you know, uh, our the management has to understand that. Yeah, I mean, we do we do do other things other than just hockey. I mean, we do have to eat. You know, uh, uh, you got to uh, snort. God bless. Absolutely. Well, this week we round out this past season's Ohio high school uh, state final four. Uh, we sit down with the winningest coach in Ohio high school history from Gilmore Academy, head coach John Malloy. I think you guys will really, really enjoy this conversation. I know I'm looking forward to talking to Coach Malloy. Uh, Jay, you and I have had the opportunity to uh, work with uh, Coach Malloy for a long time now, 20-plus years. Uh, and every time we have a chance to talk to him, it's always very knowledgeable and very insightful. So I look forward to talking to him. And play for him. We had a minor uh, – uh, when the Chicago Showcase was just one tournament in Chicago. We had a yep. chance to play for him there. It was uh, – again, he's a heck of a storyteller. He's always full of life, and it's going to be a fun conversation. And then we, uh, then we have the head coach of the last four state champions, uh, head coach Pat Roar from Setting Nations will be joining us. Um, you know, excited to talk to these gentlemen to get to know their background and some behind-the-scenes info of what it was like having to tell their respective teams that the Final Four would not be played. So we look forward to talking to Pat as well. Uh, it's time to dive into the digest and see what's making news in the world of hockey. Toledo native Aaron White, who played last season with the Amarillo Bulls of the Tier 2 North American Hockey League, has committed to Long Island University. White, a 1999 birth year forward, had 30 points in 48 North American Hockey League games last season and will play for the Sharks next season as a part of the inaugural season for the new NCAA Division I program. Remember to visit www.ohiohockeydigest.com regularly to an updated list of players and their advancements. The Ohio AAA Blue Jackets have announced the hiring of Nick Petraglia as the executive vice president. His primary focus will be coordinating and implementing annual fundraising strategies and corporate sales initiatives to help drive revenue for the program. On the ice, Petraglia will serve as a goaltending coach and assist with the organization's coach and player development models. Petraglia comes to Columbus after spending the past 20 years in Oxford, Ohio, as a student athlete, coach, and administrator at Miami University. He's very excited to get started. We are so excited to be part of such a great hockey town and community in Columbus. Uh, There's just so much potential here. The opportunity for these kids to grow up in an NHL market. They have so many role models, not just the current Blue Jackets, but the former players that are giving back to the game. And now you have homegrown examples like Sean Corrali, Connor Murphy, Jack Rossovic, Kiefer, and Cole Sherwood. 
for the kids to look up to. And it's not just because they're in the NHL. It's because of the people that they are and the responsibility that goes with helping the next generation realize and reach their potential, not just on the ice, but more so off of the ice is what excites me the most. And I'm just really looking forward to be part of it. Petraglia will join the organization on July 1 and will be present at tryouts. Ohio AAA Blue Jackets tryouts are currently scheduled for July 6th through July 12th. The East Coast Hockey League Tuesday announced the protected list as submitted by each of its member teams. That includes the four teams in the Ohio Hockey Digest covering area, the Cincinnati Cyclones, the Fort Wayne Comets, Toledo Walleye, and the Wheeling Nailers. Teams are allowed to protect as many players as they wish, provided the players protected meet the guidelines as defined in the collective bargaining agreement between the East Coast Hockey League and the Professional Hockey Players Association. The East Coast Hockey League also announced that teams must complete all future consideration trades by 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on June 12th, and that teams must submit their season-ending roster by 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on June 15th. After a three-week fan vote on YoungstownPhantoms.com, the Youngstown Phantoms announced the Youngstown Phantoms All-Decade Team from their first 10 years of USHL hockey. The results are as follows. Forwards, Kyle Connor, Josh Melnick, and Sam Anas. I apologize if I said that wrong, Sam. Defenseman, Alex Mahalik, Matt Miller, and Aiden Golicker. Goaltender, Ivan Kulbakov. Their coach, Brad Patterson. Brad has done nothing but win during his first four-year tenure as Youngstown's head coach, leading the Phantoms to the Clark Cup playoffs every season he's been at the helm, including a berth in the Clark Cup final in 2018. In addition to being the head coach, Brad was also named the Phantoms general manager prior to the 2019-2020 season. The Youngstown Phantoms would like to thank all the fans who participated in this event and for an amazing first 10 years that saw almost 500,000 fans come to the Cavelli Center to witness the United States Hockey League action and future National Hockey League stars start their careers. Let's get to our first guest, a finalist in this year's Ohio High School State Championships from Gilmore Academy head coach John Malloy. This week's episode of On Air Podcast is brought to you by Gilmore Academy, a Catholic independent co-educational college preparatory school sponsored by the Congregation of the Holy Cross. Our first guest is the reason we have the divisions to the greater Cleveland High School hockey. Competitive balance to help grow the game. He's the winningest coach in the Ohio High School Athletic Association history, closing in on his 700th career win. He coached at Cleveland Heights, winning the state championship in 1987. Coached at Rocky River and led the team to Barron Cup titles. He is currently head coach of the Gilmore Academy Lancers. Coach Malloy is the founder of the Midwest Prep League and co-founder of the Great Lakes Hockey League. He's the first captain at Miami University when the team went varsity and holds the records for most assists in a season with 52. A 2016 Gilmore Lancers Athletic Hall of Fame inductee, a 2019 Cleveland Sports Hall of Fame inductee. If we were in Britain, he'd be knighted by the Queen. Let's welcome on air from Cincinnati, Ohio, head coach of the Gilmore Academy Lancers, Sir John Malloy. Welcome, coach. <laughs> Damn, that was a very nice introduction. Thank you. <laughs> well, I, w- I was hoping that we, from now on, we're just going to have to call you sir, you know, after that introduction. Like, like I tell all the guests that come on, I just read what you guys have done. Uh, you've done it. And coach, I mean, I can tell uh, the listeners I have had the opportunity to, to play 
as a player against you. Uh, I played for you on Team Ohio and now coach uh, against you as well and with you in growing these young uh, minds. And it's been a, a great ride. And I appreciate all that you've done for all of us here in the state of Ohio. Well, thank you. Thank you. You know, I'm sure you've had to answer this a million times. Uh, so uh, I apologize, but it's something that I think our listeners really want to hear since we've talked to two other coaches in the state. Um, but can you walk us through the events and the feelings you and your team felt with the cancellation of the state final four? Uh, yes. Uh, you know, I, I, first off, I wanted to say that uh, I appreciate you guys inviting me on. Uh, I've heard nothing but good things. I've listened to many of the podcasts already and uh, great job. Great job by all of you. Uh, what a great uh, avenue for many of these good voices in hockey to be able to come on and, and speak uh, to you directly and speak to hockey fans directly. So thank you guys for doing this. Thanks. Coach. Um, you know, and leading up to it, um, I, I sort of had a sense just so, just so you know, I, I sort of had a sense that it wasn't going to happen. Uh, I, I knew something was bad, bad was coming, uh, maybe a little earlier than some others, just because I have a friend who, uh, his company owned one of the ruin Ruhan hospitals. <laughs> so they had forewarned me that this was bad, bad news, uh, and that this virus virus was going to get out of hand. So, uh, at the same time, we were really, I, I stayed focused on the players, the team, uh, getting ready, the team prepared because you just don't know what's going to happen. You can't, uh, predict that it wasn't going to be played. Um, so, uh, I felt really good about where we were as a team. Um, we were playing our best hockey, which is what you want to do at the end of the year. Uh, we were healthy. Um, oh, I definitely and, know that you were playing good hockey at the end of the year, John. Trust me, I know that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we we had a good team, though. We were very talented. Uh, the the But we just – we never – I don't think we ever got it together until after Christmas but, uh, and coming back. And – we we started rolling and we made some line adjustments. We had uh, some um, players buy into their new role. And boy, you coach, you know, as as a player and as a coach, both both you guys know that that's such a key component. You can put players in the right spots, but if they don't buy into it, it, it can be a struggle. And uh, the lines just started clicking, and we were just playing on all cylinders. Um, so we were excited about what was coming. Uh, the disappointment was, was, uh, pretty dramatic. Uh, the only thing that I think helped was that we had spring break. I mean, so, you know, you, you went right from being disappointed to the kids, not really being at school, being away. So it was hard to really get a feel. We tried to do as much as we can could to, to um, deal with the, their pain and, and, and some of the feelings they might have had, but it's just not the same as being able to get together. Uh, we did have a, um, an event. We did a, a, a blue-gray game, and the kids had a lot of fun with that, uh, sort of a, to end the year, uh, the hockey season year with. And, and, uh, but it's still just, it's just not the same. It was, it, it was a downer, but it was the right thing to do. Uh, the safety of the kids and the parents and grandparents is paramount. And so I think everybody, the kids included, understood that. You know, and I think that's huge to understand, especially coming from, you know, a coach that was, you know, had the opportunity to win a state championship. Um, yeah, it wasn't, people didn't like that, the cancellation, but in the, 
in the big scheme of things, it was the right thing to do. Um, and to hear it come from you, John, uh, that you were completely affected by it. That's, I hope the listeners really understand that, you know, we might not like what has happened the last four or five months, but it is the right thing to do to get us to move forward. Um, were you guys uh, heading down to Columbus or were you guys still at home when you got word? Uh, we were still at home. Uh, we were getting ready to, uh, we were all prepared to go down and, and, uh, because of the way it was structured this year, as it's been, I think the last couple of years, uh, we were going to go down and, and, uh, get down there a day beforehand, uh, versus try to get down there in the morning and, and get ready for it. Uh, so, so it was, uh, we were still, still at Gilmore. And so that's why we pulled the game together at practice instead of, uh, um, uh, heading down there. Gotcha. Coach, oftentimes on our podcast, we like to ask our listeners for questions. And we have a question from Akron Zips Hockey at Zips Hockey Club. How was your Miami playing experience and being the first captain for the Miami Varsity Program? <laughs> uh, wow. That, you know, it, it was a really unique time at Miami. It's so different now being that they're a perennial uh, top I don't want to say top 25 team, but they're, they're always in the, um, in the conversation now. And back then we just built the, no, I shouldn't say we, uh, Miami had just built the old rink, which was new <laughs> back then. So I'm old. It's just the, the reality of it. Uh, but the excitement for Miami to have a rink on campus and every game, the students were lined up outside that arena waiting to get in. Uh, it didn't hold that many people. And so people would get there early and it was packed and it was every game was standing room only. And you felt a responsibility. You just really felt uh, that this was something that the university had taken a step to build. And we were the ones that had to start it. And so we went out selling the program. We talked to students. We talked to the fraternities, the sororities. And uh, we just tried to buy into the idea that we were a, a new program and we wanted, to, we wanted it to work. And so when I look back on that time and then see where they are today, it's, it's very gratifying. Do you get a chance to still keep in touch with the program to, to follow along and see where they're at and what's new and what's going on? Yeah, they, they do a good job with the uh, alumni. Uh, in fact, a guy that's been uh, very instrumental in that Nick uh, Pataglia It just got hired by the Columbus um, uh, Blue Jackets in their AAA organization. Uh, and that's great for Columbus. Uh, he, he's such a fantastic guy and he's done such a wonderful job helping to uh, keep the alumni together. Uh, in fact, I missed the, we had a, a group of us old guys were getting together on a Zoom today to talk about something, but but unfortunately, I was playing golf, so I told him, I said, guys enjoy your meeting. I'm, it's too nice a day, because it was a beautiful day today. Hey, uh, hey, no, hey Dan, Dan, you and I are the only two that didn't play golf today. What, yeah. what the hell are we doing wrong? <laughs> Yard work. Yeah, so, Gardening. Um, Gardening. They've done a good job. Uh, one of the things for me, teaching and coaching, as you, people know that, that teach and coach, uh, you know, it's, it's not a place where you're getting rich. So the summer becomes a time when you either do another job. And my other job was always working hockey schools. And so I stayed for probably the first 10 years. I was working Miami University summer hockey camps. 
um, you know, sometimes eight weeks, nine weeks, whatever was going on down there. And so I stayed in touch for a long time through that as well, uh, through the different coaches and, and knowing, <coughs> getting to know Coach Gwazdecki and getting to know Coach Blasey, getting to know um, um, Ross, uh gosh, it's, name name just slips me but um you know so i've been been in touch with each of the coaches uh coach davidge of course was his next coach after coach katie and and it's a brotherhood they've done a really good job of growing that um uh keeping the alumni base together and and growing their fan base yeah you 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 hit the nail on the head there uh coach when you talked about teaching and coaching you, you, you definitely don't get rich um you know i've been doing it now going on almost 20 years and and you've done it for a while and it's just we do it for the for the young men and women that that we teach and we coach for sure you know um so when you started playing uh you know a couple years ago when you started playing uh what was the landscape of what was the landscape of hockey like uh when you started obviously it's 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 transformed but you know let's talk a little about what was it like when you first started playing hockey yeah well i i had a sort of unique um pathway to hockey uh, my my mother worked at the only, for the most part, the only rink in town in Cincinnati, which was called the Cincinnati Gardens. And they had uh, the big arena and then they had an annex. And she was the secretary for the then NBA um, uh, Cincinnati Royals. It was a basketball team that eventually became the Kansas City Royals and then the Sacramento Kings and whatever. But um, uh, and so after school, that's where I would go to, cause she was working and what would I do? I skated. So I skated with my sisters and I was a figure skater. So I, I did probably 13 years of competitive or, or what I thought was competitive figure skating, which was not competitive figure skating. <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, as good as it could get in the area I was uh, currently at. And then, uh, how many triple axles have you hit, Coach? But, yeah, that's right. I could do I could do all the jumps, and I did some dancing. And I, I don't tell a lot of people that, but now I guess it's out there. But, no, you uh, just did. You just did. My um, <laughs> uh, my brother who's passed away. He he was very instrumental in my hockey. Um, he sent me to a hockey school. Uh, in the summer, it was called the Hapmeyer Hockey School. Hap was played for the Cincinnati Swords. And um, uh, that's when I started. I was 15 years old when I started playing hockey. So it was a little different than most most players. And and um, I never really played travel hockey or, or AAA hockey or whatever everybody does now because there wasn't any there anything there to play. Um, I played men's league hockey at 15 with my brother. Uh, and there was a really cross section of guys just learning how to play and then ex pros. And, uh, I really thank those ex pros because they, they were so helpful to my game. I could skate because of the figure skating. I was a very, very strong skater, uh, but I couldn't do anything else. And, uh, they would show me what to do, teach me how to do it. And then fortunately my mom worked at the rink. So guess what? I had ice time whenever I wanted it. And so I'd go use it. And um, that's sort of been my philosophy everywhere I've ever been, everywhere I've coached, is that pond hockey attitude is if you want to get better, get on the ice, work on your game. Uh, you guys know as coaches, you can only do so much. You, you, you can't, you, you, you give directions, but it's the things that the kids do away from us that really make the difference. 
Um, you guys were both tremendous hockey players. And I guarantee you the things that you did away from practice and away from your coach made you the players you were. Not that those coaches didn't help you, not that playing for the teams didn't help you, but it was the extra things that really set the nuances of your game that made you special. And so much I see today is a lot of kids are camp kids. They just, everybody, they have to go to camps. They have to see an instructor. They have to be, somebody has to tell them what to do. And you lose a lot of that creativity when you, when you're by yourself, you get to imagine you're in the Stanley cup. You get to pretend that you're, for me, it was Bobby Orr. You know, you get to pretend that you're Bobby Orr and go do some things that you wouldn't do in practice. Things that maybe the coach would yell at you if you tried to do in practice. You can do those things when you're on the ice by yourself or with a group of people. I know it's hard, you know, not people, not as many people were as fortunate as me um, in that I had the ice uh, availability. So I started late, but because of the strong skating background and because of the access to the ice, um, you know, to be playing division one hockey, basically four years, three or three and a half years after started playing hockey, I know how, how lucky I am. I think you're the first person I ever spoke to, and I didn't know that story about you, John, but I think you're the, I think you're the first person I ever spoke to that went from men's league to division one hockey. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, we always used to say that if you could coach first and then play, you'd be so much better. Well, you almost did. By by playing the men's league route and then going base and then going and playing, it's almost you went in the perfect order. Yeah, well, I you know I I, I tell this story because this guy was pretty special at the time for me. His, his name was Billy Gould, and Billy played for the Cincinnati Swords or excuse me, the Cincinnati Mohawks, which was the farm team for the Montreal Canadiens, and he got to play one game in the NHL back when there were six teams. And uh, he played between um, Rocket Richard and uh, John Bellevue. Uh, one game. <laughs> <laughs> There's a, there, that's a story that's, in itself. That's a dream. Oh, right my there. gosh. But, but um, just the way he would talk to me and set things up about what was important. And, I, you know, I, I always try to remember that when I talk to players today is that Try to simplify it. Try to give it, give them some information that they can continue to use, whether you're there or whether you're not there. And that was the big thing that for him is he would say, "This is what you should go practice." Then it was up to me. That, you know, accountability and ownership uh, was such a big, big piece to it. And uh, so, yes, it was like having. I played men's league. It was like having seven, eight, um, seven, eight coaches on the bench. You know, so, um, and just so you know, I didn't go straight to division one. I played club hockey at the university of Cincinnati, uh, before I went to Miami. Uh, so, um, I, I always tell, to tell people that I, I wouldn't even gone to college without hockey. You know, I just, um, I was working in a factory after high school, making good money, making Camaros and firebirds and Z 28s. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, one of the guys I played men's hockey with came up and said, Hey, university of Cincinnati has going to have a club team. You should play. And I said, okay, I'll play. And they said, well, yeah. you have to go to school. <laughs> like, Oh, 
That's part of the deal? Okay. I took I took the minimum (laughs) classes so I could play. Nice. Miami built their rank and that's when I switched over. Nice. Okay. So when you first got into coaching, you started, I believe I was reading doing the research was uh, the Miami club hockey team at first after your, uh, was it during your grad year at Miami? And then after that, your choices were Bowling Green and Cleveland Heights. Wow. What, you did what, research. Yes. What, hey, coach, for you, of course. <laughs> what, what to you was so appealing about coming up and coaching at Cleveland Heights? Oh, wow. That's a good question. Um, yeah, you the the probably my first inc- inclination would have been Bowling Green, just coming from Miami in a hockey uh, college town. Bowling Green, as you know, or maybe you don't know, but back then Bowling Green was the powerhouse and one of the powerhouses in in hockey. You know, national championships. They had all those guys on the Olympic yep. team. Um, so uh, their their high school team was phenomenal. Um, the difference was for me was that they, the job was middle high school teaching and then coaching at the high school level. And Cleveland Heights was at the high school teaching and coaching. And I just thought about it at length and I wanted to be where my players were. I wanted to be with them um, and just have that whole, that whole experience. And I didn't want to be at the middle school teaching and then jump over to the high school to coach. Um, and so even though probably the college atmosphere for me at that time would have been, um, I know I, I, I would have liked that. Uh, I was also inspired by Cleveland Heights. It was a school that was very similar to my own experience in high school. Um, I, I went to a pretty much predominantly minority school, uh, uh, it was 90% African-American uh, school, and, and Cleveland Heights was probably 50-50 at the time, 60%. And so I was very comfortable in that environment, and, and I liked that, that environment. I liked the multicultural experience. And, and, um, and then my meeting with the people at uh, Cleveland Heights was just phenomenal, just, just tremendous from top to bottom, especially the parents' group. Um, they were very heavily involved and, and uh, right away you could, they just, I knew it was going to be the right fit. Well, I can speak from a, a experience when we'd have to come over uh, back when you were coaching at, at Cleveland Heights, we'd have to play you guys in the small rink at uh, Cleveland Heights. It was people hanging over the, the <laughs> well, it was a cage back then, right? It wasn't even glass. It was cage, uh, right? Yeah, it was, it was a cage with the square yeah. rink. I don't know. Oh my, yeah. Square rink. <laughs> It was uh, like that when we'd go over and practice with you guys because yeah. coach would coach would take us over and we'd practice with you guys once, twice, uh, I believe right before the season. And right. Holy God. It, it was, it was a, a January game and it was just a practice. <laughs> I will say that was one of the most craziest places between that and Meadville were two crazy yes, places to play. Yeah. 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 Meadville was uh, something special, something special. Yeah. It's in, and I love, I still love, you know, and, and we both have a good relationship with Jamie and we, we play him throughout the uh, year, but the atmosphere is just not the same as it used to be. Now, hopefully yeah. they get that back, but man, when, when, when I, when I was playing and we'd have to go play a John Malloy's Cleveland Heights team or a Jamie Plunkett Meadville team, it was just crazy. Buckle up, buckle up. <clears throat> it's going to get physical boys. 
Right. Yeah, there was a there there there's always been some of those uh quality games in the high school and and that's that's the one thing that I think when you play for your school and you play for your community um you know it just adds to the excitement it adds to the uh, accountability you know we talked about accountability already and and um you know I know that when we were at heights and we were playing well you were known in the community. Uh, you were known when you went into the mall. People wanted to, you know, say hi. People, it, it was kind of, it was a, it was a neat experience. And, and uh, I know you guys know what I'm talking about because you, you played on winning teams and, and people want to be associated with you. And so there's a lot of responsibility. You're no longer, um, you know, Jason, you're, you're, you're part of that team. You're representing the team. You know, I think one of the good, one of the things, and, and, and not to like go off on a tangent, but I think one of the things that you and Coach Whitten did together uh, when during our era was when we when we practiced together or we played against each other. And I can say this; I know Jay will say the same thing. I mean, I was out of my group of friends from St. Ed's and where I grew up in Lakewood or whatever, but I was really tight with a lot of the Cleveland Heights guys as well, and we would compete like like banshees on the ice, but we'd always like be very. Uh, friendly and, and still to this day I talk to you know Danny Gilliam and, and you know Bogus and all those guys you know still to this day and yeah. so it's it's really it that was something special you know what I mean we'd beat the hell out of each other yeah. on the ice we'd have some really good games and and get physical and nasty and then off off the ice we'd end up at you know I mean we didn't party back then coach but we'd end up at some gathering yeah. you know together <laughs> and I thought that was pretty I thought that was pretty special and and different than today where a lot of these kids um, combine and play pre-post together and, and they do a lot of the events together. Back then, you didn't have those kind of events. You didn't have that kind of um, coming together. So it was, it was really separate. Uh, and so it, it meant a lot more. And I agree with you. I know our guys had such high respect for the, the St. Ed's player and program and coach Wade and, and not just them there was a, just a lot of teams right, in, that, right. in that regard uh, and and there was a high respect when you played each other some of the most fierce battles um, across the board and you still have that you know we still have that but I think too that you have more friendships that have already been formed right. by the, the kids today you know I, I know at least on the east side with uh, shaker kids and and university school players and, and uh, the Gilmore players, they, they already know each other. And they yeah. play, you know, they're playing in the summer together. They're playing on pre-post teams together. And so there's a, there's a lot of knowledge. And, and for that, that brings the spirit up a little bit too because those are their friends and they want to they play well against their friends. But it's right. also a testament to, to our coaches, to yourself, to, to Coach Whitten, that, and, and all the coaches that we, we were against or with and against growing up that to this day, if something good or something bad happens, it's not uncommon at all to be to get a phone call, to get a text from, you know, guys that played for you, guys that played for other schools. And like Sully said, we'd go in on a Friday, Saturday night or a Baron Cup game or whatever, and it was just, like I said, buckle up. It's going to get rough. Nobody wanted to give an inch. But when push comes to shove, I know that, you know, I'm not a name drop guy, but you know Stevie Bogus is going to call you and ask if you're okay if something in life happened or the Todd Gunthers of the world and all that. It just you, – you guys all raised us right. You raised us to be respectful, and it's, it's just a, a, a tremendous attribute of you that you've always had and, and all the coaches that we had. It's just been an amazing ride. 
Yeah, so you, I, I agree with you, Jason. I, I think that um, the, the coaches in this area just really um, supported the parents because the parents already had that going for the most part. There were some, there was definitely some situations where I think teams helped individual players out uh, uh, a lot <laughs> in some cases. And, and that, uh, that cultural um, structure that you had on a team was important. And, and I also think everybody was pretty cognizant of the fact that we were trying to grow hockey and you can't grow a sport. A, and, and you know, this back then hockey was not a sport that many parents had a good vision of what it was like, you know, because of the pro, you know, fight all they showed on regular TV were the fights most of the time. Right. And right. so people, that's what people thought. And so having, players and teams that conducted themselves in a first-class manner was critical to the importance of growing the program and, and having more programs come in. And I remember inviting some of the superintendents or excuse me, principals of schools that were thinking about hockey to our games. And they were come away very impressed because they just had a different, um, I would say maybe even a, just a different sense of what the game was and they come see us play and they were like, wow, that's fast. It's exciting. It's physical, but it's clean mm -hmm. and respectful. And, and boy, it's guys like you, your players like yourselves that really helped us grow the game. And I think uh, the guys that play today should be appreciative of that. So you, you, you've obviously coached a lot of really talented players and good players and, and not, not only just uh, on the ice, but obviously as we just talked about off the ice to try to, or, or, yeah, off to get the kids to get this game rolling. You're the winningest coach in, in the, uh, the state of Ohio high school history. Um, and congratulations with that. What, what do you attribute that record to? I mean, and what keeps you going after 700 wins? It's almost getting 700 wins. Well, you know, thank you. But, um, I've been around a long time. <laughs> so, that, <laughs> so a lot of those wins are by default, but, uh, you, you guys know, talent if you're more a talented team you're going to win more games than you lose even if you're a terrible coach and i i think i'm a, a good coach um and but i've been fortunate i, I disagree with you i think you're a great coach but i'm just i mean that's just me okay so. well thank you but but what i'm getting at is it's the whole piece it's the talent and it's your assistant coaches you you know the assistant coaches i have had i've had some brilliant minds some great former players who turned into fantastic coaches and many of them have gone on to become head coaches and, 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 um, you know, just that's the, that's how you do it is you can't, I, I learned early in my coaching career that if I was going to be successful, it was going to be on the shoulders of others. It was going to be the fact that I was going to have surround myself with the most talent that I could have players wise, but also coaching wise. And when I say successful, I hope you don't take it as just being, being wins because that has never been, never been my goal. It has always been about how do I help these guys become better citizens, better men? Because I know when you do that, they're going to be better players, right? Right. There's there's no doubt that if you take someone who does not care about his teammates, 
he's just not going to be as good as somebody who cares about his teammates. It's, um, and it's not rocket science. So if you surround yourself with players who buy into that or have a chance to buy into it and coaching staff who agrees with you and wants, want that as well, you're going to have success. You're just, you're just going to win some games. Um, as you guys know, at St. Ed's, when I was at Heights, we, we lost some big games, you guys, <laughs> you know, and, and in some cases I thought we had the better team. Um, in other cases, I didn't think we had more talent than you, but I thought we had everything we needed to beat you. And at Gilmore, the same way, I've had some really talented teams that have lost and I've had some teams that weren't as talent that, talented that won. Um, but in every case, it's always, for me, it's always been about, you know, are they trying to be the best they can be? And, and I'm so proud of those kids. I mean, one of the, one of the, and I, I've talked about this to some people, um, Kirk Gunther, I know you, you might've heard Kirk, that's Todd's younger brother. He was on one of my heights, least talented teams when I was there, but that group of players just never quit. I mean, they just, just like Kirk, that Kirk, you know, his shoulder would fall out because of his, his, um, he had a, a bad whatever, and he would go throw it back in against the plexiglass. I mean, that, that was the whole, that was him, but that was the whole team. And um, I think we maybe, maybe that year we were 500, but I'm as proud of that team as, as any team, because they were just character kids that, that, we got every ounce of talent out of that group. Oh, Kirk, and you if you're listening, you were really good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna get a Twitter, we're gonna get a tweet after this and, and from Kirk probably. But but I, I wanna I wanna kind of piggyback something on, on what you said there, John. And and for our listeners out there that that really don't know how tight knit this whole hockey thing here in Cleveland, and, and we're talking high school hockey today. High school hockey is um you know, it, it's guys like yourself, uh, Billy Beard, um, uh, Coach Bartley, Coach Whidden, that really started this whole thing off uh, and got it really off the ground for us. And, you know, when I first started my coaching career uh, almost 20 years ago, guys like yourself and guys like Coach Beard and, and Coach Bartley were, all, were always just a phone call away. And it, the tight knit group of not only helping your own players become better men and better citizens, and they'll become better hockey players. It's helping each of us, uh, whether it's coaches or other players, so that we can not only grow the game, but grow the perception of the game in the right way. So I want our listeners to really understand that because that without like yourself and those other coaches, we wouldn't be where we're at today. You know, we're going to talk to coach or work later on, and he's in the same boat. I am him and I are around the same age. So we would look up to uh, you, a beard, and, and, and the other coaches and say, all right, listen, if we have a question, we know you're only a phone call away. And that's huge because now it's our turn to do that as well, right? It's our turn to do that to the younger coaches. And, and I look forward, to, and I've done it a handful of times, and I only can – I want the listeners to know that without that core group, including yourself, we wouldn't be where we're at today. Oh, and the people that came before me. I mean, there was already a, a great core of, of people, and – you know, then falling in line with Ian Cushman and Mark Fafolio and, and, and Mike Bartley and, and Quidden and, you know, go down the list of uh, Doug Hauser, uh, yeah. gosh, um, 
and people were passionate about their own program. You know, I'm very, I was, I've been very passionate about every program I've been uh, with. Um, but if you just look at that only, then how does that really help? <laughs> you know, you, if, when I remember there was a time we had 19, 19 teams in Cleveland that played high school hockey. Wow. 19. <laughs> you know, and, and where are we now? 40, 48, yeah. you know, and, and then that's not even counting the club teams, um, right. the club high school teams. Uh, so uh, a lot of it has been because there's more ranks now, finally. Um, it was great when I came up here that we had all the city ranks, but it was also a detriment to hockey because um, city ranks don't operate the same way as a for-profit rank does. Yeah. And uh, so you're, you're not as um, maybe creative in growing the game um, in that regard. So we were very fortunate that we had programs like Mentor that grew their games strong and North Olmstead. Wow. Think about some of the players that came out of North Olmstead. That's right. In your wheelhouse, Lev. Uh, Parma, yes, you know, uh, Forestwood, Parma, you know. So, so yeah, there was a lot of good things that were happening and good people that were taking care of their programs the right way. And, and, and uh, I just, I was fortunate to be part of that. Along the same lines, coach of, of growing the game, you're known for it. You're a leader of it in, in the current state that it's in right now from starting the Midwest Prep League to helping start the GLHL, the, go back to creating the divisions in Greater Cleveland High School Hockey to create that competitive balance so that more teams could grow and more teams could have programs. Do you like where the game is right now? And also, what do you think needs to be done to continue to grow it correctly? Oh, that's a... That's a big question. Uh, no, I, I like where it is. There's more kids playing hockey and there's a more opportunity for kids to play hockey now than they've ever been. I mean, really, we do it when you look at some of the fact, some of the, the teams that allow kids who have never played to be able to step on the ice and play today. Think about that. You know, that's, it's a sport that you usually can't start playing if you don't start soon enough. But we have many programs which will take kids out of the high school halls and put them on the ice and let them play this great game, yeah. experience this great game. And I know some people look at that and say, well, that's, that's not good for hockey. And I go, who cares that it's not good for hockey? How, how can it not be good for, for hockey? Kids to, right. to be how, able could it, to how could it not be good for hockey if it's growing and, and it's getting a kid active? It's good for anything, whether it's you pick up a baseball bat or a basketball. It's, it's great for, like you said, the kid. It's also good for hockey. Yes. I, I think the more teams you have, the more opportunities. I mean, uh, I, I, it's, it's been it's – been, um, there's challenges. It's an expensive sport. And how, that's probably the biggest challenge. It's just there's a lot of people that just can't play this game uh, who would love this game. But it's just – too expensive for them. Um, it's also time consuming. And so parents know that. And there's many parents, and you know them, who will not even let their kid, they may have even played hockey themselves, and they're not letting their kids play, not because they don't know that it's a great game, it's because the time commitment. For them, it's they want to spend their time elsewhere. But I will say this, there's 
there's no better way to spend your time because it's such a family commitment. And when you look back on it, I know you, you two as players will agree is the friendships, the bonds, the family time together uh, is just amazing. It, it's just, it's just wonderful. I, I think so many parents go through complete withdrawal when their kids stop playing, that you still see them at rinks coming to games, watching, watching other kids play because they miss it so much. Uh, yeah, we've, 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 all, seen, we've back, all seen those parents. Yeah, we've yeah, all seen those parents but, coming back. But the can't get back is those, those times where, you know, you wake up in the morning, you got nine kids sleeping on your, on your living room floor. <laughs> you got an early game the next day and they're, they're <laughs> you know, the, those things go away and, and so enjoy them. Enjoy them. You talked about it, it being a family setting and the travel. My brother, I believe for 13 years of his life, thought that Thanksgiving dinner was supposed to be held at the IHOP in South Bend, Indiana. <laughs> because for 13 years, I was in South Bend at Thanksgiving. Was that the Irish Rover tournament day? Yeah, yes, it was. Yes, it was. Yeah, yeah. Yes, it was. And my older brother, who did not play the game of hockey, I think he thought that every vacation was uh, a vacation to an ice rink or Niagara yeah. Falls. I think he went to Niagara Falls more on vacation than ever in his life. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, you know, I can speak. You know, my my family gave up a lot to allow me to coach. Uh, I'm glad my son played hockey. It, it made it a little bit easier at times. But you guys know as coaches that um, – it's it's a it's a big commitment during that hockey season is there's just certain things that you're doing that um there's just other people are going away for vacation over christmas and many times you're just you're not you're you're um going to you know, christmas eve is on the road coming back getting ready to go to <laughs> go to another christmas tournament <laughs> so um well this guy might get mad at me for for saying this story but it, uh, i'll deal with it uh coach beard after he uh, stopped coaching at U.S. for a couple years. The one Christmas Eve, he sent me a picture of him on the golf course uh, down. I don't know. He was in Florida somewhere, and he was like, "No, don't miss it, Sully. Don't miss it." <laughs> so, um, well, hey, listen. With with the current state of our country uh, amid this uh, COVID nineteen pandemic, which is you know something that I hope none of us ever have to go through again. Um, what do you think will become the new normal uh, as far as hockey goes? Well, that's, that's really interesting. Uh, uh, I think we're all wondering what it's going to be. Uh, you know, I think right now we're really restless. It seems to me that our country uh, is, is restless and restlessness sometimes makes bad decisions. And uh, I'm, I'm concerned because I, they just don't know enough about this this virus um they're learning every day they're learning um it may it may not be as bad as people think it could be and it may be worse than they think it could be we just don't know um so how do you how do you weigh that against the safety of kids i i'm i'm really struggling with this um personally i'm struggling with it but uh, but also professionally i'm struggling with it because you want to get back to normal but what if normal is causing irre irreversible damage to kids' bodies? Even, I, I, you know, I've seen some studies where even kids who, I mean, people that are asymptomatic still have lesions on their lung from the virus. 
do those lesions go away? If you're an athlete, <laughs> your lungs are your, such an important part of your power source. And do we risk that because kids are seemingly going through this okay? Well, what's the long-term effect of it? I don't know. And, and I'd, I'd hate... I'd hate to be someone that that forces the issue and then all of a sudden find out five years later that it's irreversible and that when it happens to these kids again, that lung damage is worse. I don't know. Um, At the same time, you know, I want to coach. You know, I want to get back at that. I want to compete. I want to help kids get better. So uh, I don't have that answer. Uh, I'm I'm sort of leaving it up to the the people that have the – the science behind it and hoping they come up with something that will lead us in the right direction. You know, I was just going to say with, with everyone like being very anxious, like you said, coach, you know, we, we've like, you went golfing, you know, love went golfing. I've been golfing before and people, if, if we follow the rules and do what's right. And, and you know, I, I kind of chuckle a little bit about this whole six foot separation thing that's been called personal space my entire life. You know, like if you just give people their personal space, you know, we we were in a better spot. But I think, you know, you know, I see some of these videos from some of these areas, like the, the one we saw in the Lake of the Ozarks last week or whatever, that was absolutely out of control. Like, I mean, people are so anxious and anxious people then can cause problems. So um, I'm 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 happy on a per, you know personal level. I'm happy that our rinks are open. Um, however you know, I mean, it, we still need to follow those guidelines to make sure that our, not only our student athletes, but ourselves as well are protected. And, and again, your, your answer to not knowing, I think that, I mean, all of us on this uh, Zoom call right now are in the same boat. We, what's, what's best for ourselves individuals and our, and our families and our kids. Yeah. I think, you know, I'm, I, I work at a school that's very cognizant of trying to do the right things and following the science and, so we're getting ready to do a phase one opening of the ice arena. And um, based on what I've seen that they're going to do and how they're going to implement it, uh, I, I really feel good about it. I, I think it, it allow some of our kids to get back on the ice, but in a, a really safe way. And, and um, you know, I, they're going to test that for a couple of weeks and then they'll look at the how that goes and whether they go to phase two. And, and I think the more time you give to the more science that comes out along the way. So um, I know people are anxious to get back and, and I'm really pleased that Gilmore has taken the steps that they're doing to uh, um, do both, get the kids back on the ice, but do it in a safe way. Right. Coach with all the unknowns and obviously there's going to be a lot more unknowns until we have all the answers and who knows if that'll ever truly come. To your current coaching situation, what's on the horizon for you and the Gilmore Lancers for this upcoming season? It almost seems like a stupid yeah, question. We, let's, having let's, all, all the serious stuff. I, I promise I'm not taking notes. <laughs> no, it's okay. No, it's we uh, we, we, we are recording. Go ahead. <laughs> no, it's it's an exciting time at Gilmore. Uh, our program, as you know, is uh, you know I, I I was there at the beginning back in '97 '98 when they built the first rink, and. Um, you know, I, we, <laughs> I think they're the, the first team, which I didn't coach cause I was, I was still, um, I was still at Rocky river at the time. Uh, 
I was just um, sort of overseeing the, 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 the beginning of the hockey program at Gilmore and the youth hockey and so forth. Um, but that first team they had was, I think, 18 kids, five of which were goalies. And, and um, you know, I think they won maybe two games, three games. And, and now to, to look that we're going to have 125 hockey players, boys and girls who, you know, go to a high school of 450. Um, and it, it's, we're adding a U16 team because we have to, I mean, we have a no cut policy. So we, otherwise we're going to have, we'd have 26 kids on a team and kids sitting in the stands. So we, we're not going to do that. We're going to, we're going to have teams for everybody. And where, it, where my team fits in is, is that, um, you know, we'll, we'll take the kids who don't make the prep team, the older kids and the, the younger kids who don't make the U16 team will take those kids on my team. So there'll be kids that played for me last year who don't make the prep team this year who will play with the U16 team because they're still young enough to play there. Um, and uh, I, I've, I've coached at public schools. Public schools, if you've coached at a public school, you learn real quick. You, you take what you get and you do the best you can with them. And, and that's, I'm in the same position. I take whatever I'm given. Uh, my job is to help these kids make the prep team. That's how I always look at it. And if they want to play college hockey, my job is to help them do everything I can to get them ready to play college hockey. Uh, I've been very fortunate at Gilmore is that we have some great kids who, when they don't make the top team, they don't pout, they don't complain. They just put their nose to the grindstone and they work hard. And, um, you know, I love that. Uh, and some of them still go on and play college hockey, which is tremendous. So next year, it's going to be interesting. I don't know what my team's going to look like. We, we only had four seniors, but, <laughs> you know, we might only, and we had 20 kids on 20, 20 kids on the varsity team. So technically you would say, well, you have 16 kids coming back. Well, we, we might have a core of five or six that come back again. And that's, that's been pretty much the common theme. I think one of the year, reasons we were better this year is because we had a core of eight kids, nine kids that returned. Um, and, and so that gave us a little bit more depth right from the beginning. Um, but I think the, the, the boys prep team is going to be strong. The U16 team is going to be strong. I think we're going to be able to compete. Um, so I'm, I'm excited. After all your accolades and all the victories and all the games played, uh, what does coaching mean to you today versus when you first began? Well, that's, that's interesting. I, I was never went in to be a coach, to be honest. I, uh, I still remember there was a guy who was up in Cleveland. Maybe some of you might remember his name, Jack Vivian, mm -hmm. um, Dr. Jack Vivian. He started the Bowling Green program. He was the, um, uh, was it the, the Crusaders? Crusaders, general, yeah. Crusaders. General manager, and he was the, the hockey director at uh, uh, Miami when I was there, and Coach Steve Cady was the head coach. And I was finishing up my senior year, not sure what I wanted to do. 
Um, I had some thoughts of maybe going to play pro. Um, and Coach Vivian and I had an, and, and what I'm leading towards is you need people in your life that you trust that are experts. It, it's so critical because I know parents love you in a, in a, a unique way that only a parent can love you. But sometimes they don't have the knowledge base to help you in the best way. They can support you in the best way, but they can't give you the insights that maybe an expert can. And my conversation with Jack Vivian back then and Coach Katie really helped me because I, I could have gone to play pro for a couple of years and made $150 a week <laughs> playing minor league pro and, you know, get my teeth knocked out and stitches and, you know, that whole things that would have gone on in the IHL hockey back then. <laughs> and that's what they told me would happen. And they said, but we're, we have an opportunity for you. You can stay and get your master's degree and uh, be with, be here and, and coach. And I was like, coach, and they were like, yes, and coach. <laughs> and, and I said, um, there was other duties I had. I had, you know, to teach phys ed and do some other things. Uh, but my, what I was doing, I wanted to be a facility manager. I wanted to run a YMCA or run an ice rink. That's why I was, that was my degree in recreation management and, and phys ed was to combine. They didn't really have a recreation management degree. So I had a business degree and a, and a phys ed degree. And they, they can, I don't want to say they convinced me. They just showed me the benefits of getting my master's now, getting it paid for. Um, I didn't have much money. My family didn't have much money. So to get schooling paid for and get it out of the way, they just showed me that that was a really leg up opportunity. And I thought about it. I talked with my family, talked with my dad and we just felt like that was the right thing to do. As much as I would have loved to gone to play hockey, it was a time to grow up. And so their help and their directions led me to coaching. I loved it. From, from day one, I, again, I had no intention of being a I was just doing it because I had to do it. But I remember that first practice and some of the guys who I played with the year before didn't make the the varsity team and they were on the club team and I was coaching them. Um, it was a fantastic year. I was, I just fell in love with it. And I said, this is what I want to do. Yeah. Well, Hey coach, I really appreciate you taking the time spending with us talking. Um, and uh, again, on a personal level, thank you for all that you've done for all of the coaches, like my age and players when you coached me and, all that other stuff. It's been tremendous to be able to uh, say that I've uh, been coached by you. I coach against you, but most importantly that uh, we've become friends. So thanks for doing what you do. Um, and uh, again, thanks for supporting the podcast. Thank you for having me out here. I appreciate it. And quit beating me so many times. I get tired of oh, that. Here, yeah, here, we go. here we go. Here, here we, we go. go. <laughs> here we go. Here we go. No, no. Uh, there's, there's nothing better than having coaches that you respect on the other bench and playing them win or lose. Um, it's just a great feeling at the end of the day to be going down that line, shaking hands of those kids and then shaking the hands of 
those uh, those opponents um, and looking them in the eyes and, and just feeling proud for them as well. So win or lose, and I appreciate you having me on. And and um, again, keep keep up the good fight. All right, thanks, Coach. Talk to you soon. Take care. Let's head down Lorraine Road to West 30th and Lorraine to get to our next guest, the head coach of the St. Ignatius High School Wildcats, Pat O'Rourke. Our next guest is a 1990 graduate of St. Ignatius High School. He is a six-time state champion as a head coach, including the last four consecutive. A 2019 National Federation and Ohio High School Athletic Association Coach of the Year and is closing in on win number 450. A member of the Coaches Advisory Board for the Ohio High School Athletic Association, let's welcome on air from St. Patrick's of West Park, the head coach of St. Ignatius High School, Pat O'Rourke. <laughs> welcome, Patrick. Hey, what's up, buddy? How you doing? <laughs> Had to throw in the old St. Patrick's uh, there. I love it. Or, our Saint, love or, or as our St. James guys used to call it, St. Fats. So. <laughs> <laughs> and then right original. down the road from you guys, yeah, right down the road <laughs> from you guys was O Smell A. Yeah. Hey, those are some great battles, man. The Jamboree, I remember. Oh, oh, there you go. Watching watching hockey players play basketball. It's ugly, man. Yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> or or you go up to the OLA Fight Festival every year and you know try to work your way into the casino as a as a <laughs> 15 year old. <laughs> we laugh, but we've all tried it. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's right. I love the Fall Fest. Oh yeah. They 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 don't run that anymore, do they? I think they do. They oh, do. do they? I'm they pretty do. sure. <laughs> oh man, I might have to get up there. Yeah, I might have to get up there. Trying to get in the get a caramel apple and then meet meet a few carnies. Oh, <laughs> uh, that was the man. That was the thing growing up for sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, Pat, you're the final piece of the puzzle of the four uh, coaches that we talked to uh, that made it down to the state final four this year, and we all know what happened. And and I know you've probably been asked a million times about this. Um, you know, but what was the atmosphere like for you and your team? Uh, and once you had to tell them that the tournament was canceled and how was the reaction? I mean, I, I, I think we all know how the reaction is, but if we can get a little bit personal with your group as well, uh, you've had a tight group there for four years and this is, you know, probably not the, it's absolutely not the way it want you guys wanted it to end. I know that, but, uh, so how, how did, can you walk us through that whole process? Yeah, I mean, it happened kind of fast. Like we, uh, you started here. I did I, really didn't know much about this disease or virus uh, until shortly before things got canceled. And so you started hearing about like some NBA stuff with Gobert. And um, I think they were going to do, they started talking about, they had given us, you know, I drove down to Columbus actually uh, the Sunday before and um, they gave you your tickets or your lanyards and that kind of stuff. And then it was like, uh, you know, we can only have, parents or something like that they started limiting with the crowd so they were going to try and get it done and you guys probably I'm sure you remember that ironically the season was supposed to end a week earlier uh, when the initial schedule came out and then there was something at Nationwide a conflict where they had to push it back a week so we would have been done we would have gotten lucky and got it done whatever would have happened would have happened but um, so I just had like a kind of a weird feeling I know I know I pulled into school that Thursday morning with uh, Jason's buddy Jenkins uh, <laughs> Gino <laughs> Uh, and I just started so dressed my son's Jack's a senior and we've driven to school every day for four years, you know, and, and basically driven home every day. So it's been, it was great. And he, he didn't like, you know, put his, uh, 
tunes on and, and you know and put his earbuds in it. We talked every day, you know. Um, I totally missed that, but we pulled into the lot, and I was like, I don't, I don't think maybe the NBA canceled or something, but something some news came on Sports Talk Radio, and I looked. I'm like, this might be your last day of school, buddy. I just had like this weird feeling, and uh, throughout the day, you know, you started just getting signs that it wasn't going well. So um, that was a, that was a Wednesday, right, Pat? I think I think it was a Thursday. I'm not was it a Thursday? Sure. Yeah, I think I think we said I, I think we were called in maybe either that Wednesday or Thursday afternoon saying it was going to be. Yeah, because yeah. it was our last practice. I know that much. Um, and it was like everybody I, that I know of that I talked to, adults, coaches, and players. Like we just wanted to get to the rink. You know, like when yeah. school. And it is just, you know, you know, it is like the rink the locker room is your home, you know, it's um, for uh, that's your second family. Um, and I think everybody just wanted to get there and, and see each other. And, and um, so we got there and, and when I got there, a bunch of kids were already there. Who maybe they had ninth period off or something, but they were just like wandering around like zombies. I, I guess the news had probably come out and um there were a couple of them like walking on the ice. They had just school clothes on. And um, it was just like, it was like a funeral. That's, that's the best. And I know I'm not, I, you know, I think we have to couch all this in like, like, you know, proper perspective. There are people who passed away, people who are seriously ill. It's not, it's just the, the world of high school hockey I'm talking about, but it was pretty traumatic. Um, it, the feeling it, it, I got, it reminded me of the tie game we had in 2014 in the championship where it was just like such a, such a, an unsatisfactory ending. And it really wasn't the kid's fault. Um, it was just like this empty feeling in the pit of your stomach. I still, I, I mean, again, keeping things in proper perspective, I still, you know, there are days when I think about, I'm like, I really rather would lose than tie or not play. You know, I'd rather have a definitive outcome and deal with it than, uh, than just, you know, it's just, especially for, like you said, the seniors and like those kids on New Albany had never been down there before. Um, you know, I think the Gilmore game was going to be an awesome game and just, it was so exciting. And it, you know, you went from like, you know, it was like you prepare. It's like, it's kind of like football, like how, how our teams prepare, like you're watching film and you're, you know, you're, it's, it's intense. And, uh, that's like all you're thinking about is how we're going to beat Gilmore in, in our case. And then it's just, uh, all of a sudden it's just like totally wiped away and you're dealing with a, a different animal. So we only had, you know, we had a limited amount of time we were there and, uh, the kids were like, you know, understandably moping around and crying. And, uh, usually at our last practice of the year, we, we, um, when it's over with, we shake hands and we, hug each other and say, I love you and say whatever you want to, to anybody, to everybody. And, um, you know, it was even, that was even a little bit weird. Cause you, you started hearing like, don't shake hands and don't, you know, that was already starting to come out. So right, right. And I think we get a little bit kind of threw caution to the wind with that one because it was, it was a super emotional. So, um, once everybody got there, we went back to our locker room and just kind of talked about it for, uh, about 20 minutes. And a lot of it was like, um, you know, this, this stinks for sure. I'm not going to lie about it. Uh, but you know, there, there are way worse things in life and there's, there are going to be people who, you know, are, are given bad news. Like you have cancer or your wife has cancer, or your father is, you know, or something, somebody passed or you lost a child or 
you know, all things that we know as, as older guys now that, that happen in life, but these kids who are 16, 17 haven't, a lot of times haven't experienced. Um, although one, one of our seniors had just lost his uncle that week, so he had a taste of that real world. And so it was like, you know, whatever uh, happens here, you know, we, we can just walk away or we can try to make the best of it. We can, we can uh, you know, just like, you, you know, lessons that you guys teach your kids, like how, how you respond to something is sort of more important than, than what happens to you, whether it's good or bad. Um, so I was like, well, why, don't, why don't we just go play one more time together as brothers, you know? And so they took a vote and they unanimously voted to play and they just divvied up teams however they divvied them up and some threw on one color and some threw on the other and went out and played. And uh, so then I was walking out with my son while they were getting dressed and we had, happened to have the uh, broadcast equipment there from the previous game. And I'm like, why don't you broadcast it? Like one last broadcast, you know? And so he called the guy at school, the tech guy, and uh, they got the okay. And so he went up there and broadcast. So it was, we tried to just make the best of it, you know? And then yeah. it was it was like, um, it was definitely fun and it was definitely a good idea, I think. But then at, when it ended, uh, it was like a crash. It was like, like we artificially extended the season for an hour but then when it was over it was like okay now it's really over yeah. and that's when they were doing their hugging uh you know and shaking hands and all that kind of routine and uh it was super emotional man like this this was a really good group that we had i think you know i think it might be the best one i've ever had and you know, i would have liked to see what they could have done in columbus maybe but uh just with my son being there too and and so the those memories started flooding back to me like you know, that's, this is it for me and my son with hockey, you know, it's, it's been such a connection for us and, um, a big part of his life since, I mean, since we were coming to the hockey stop, you know, yeah, oh yeah. Madison and shoot, shooting the breeze with you guys, which is another one of my great memories. Um, you know, cause I know we're rivals, but we're also friends. I like to think we're friends and we, we do this a long time and we're going to hopefully do it, you know, for however many more years. And, and, uh, other things, you know, wins and losses happen, whatever. But, uh, you know, we, I mean, Timmy, we've been together since we're four years old, I think. So Absolutely. Right. Right. Um, so hey, that me, stuff, can, yeah. Real quick, have you talked to any of the other coaches, uh, the other three coaches about, you know, how getting could together? this have ended getting together? How could this have ended? Any of that stuff? Yeah. So like for the first couple of months, uh, I didn't really talk to anybody because, I mean, I barely talk to uh, people other than my neighbors, you know. So, right. Um, and I'm I'm uh, immunocompromised myself, so I I, I was like um, pretty nervous about it, you know. And I I, I understood, uh, you know, Bob. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I, I didn't really, I didn't really get hacked off at what happened because uh, you know with having Crohn's and you know, on the medicines that I'm on, I, I'm in that group where, you know, I got to be a little bit careful. So I, I haven't really talked to anybody and you're starting to, um, you know, at some point you're starting to come out of your shell a little bit and go outside. So anyhow, uh, you know, I knew that you guys were doing a podcast because I saw, I saw something, Scott uh, Harrington sent something out on social media or whatever it was. But uh, um, so somebody um, played a clip for me that uh, where one of the, other coaches that you had on sort of mentioned like you know the idea of getting all four teams together 
and it kind of sounded like he reached out to me and you know multiple times and, and I was against it or whatever which uh, I would be all for it <laughs> there's no reason for 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 us to be anything but excited about playing so I heard that and I was like okay you know it's it's getting to be uh, you know whatever May or whatever it was I'm like things are starting to open up a little bit I'm like I, I will gladly play uh, the final four so I emailed the other four coaches I mean the other three coaches and uh said, what do you guys think? Do you want to get together, get some ice? Uh, I was thinking Brooklyn. I also thought maybe Quick and Loans might be a good venue, but I was thinking Cleveland's in the middle. You know, we got Gilmore uh, out east and then Toledo west and Columbus south. So, I mean, whatever would be central would be fine, but it seemed like Cleveland was central. Uh, so I sent that out. And um, I know Coach Malloy from Gilmore was uh, – was open to the idea and also offered Gilmore, you know, obviously Gilmore has ice on campus, so we could have played it there. Uh, but the other two fellows were, uh, were uh, right away pretty much came back and said no, which was, which surprised me because one of them uh, had the idea himself on your podcast. So, so, you know, they can't do it without all four teams. Um, but uh, it, 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 they shut it down very quickly, which surprised me. Um, and disappointed me. You know, I, I don't know. We hadn't worked through all the legalities. We would have had to. See. It wouldn't have been like an OHSA championship, I'm sure. But I just thought, you know, get get a bunch of guys together and uh, play it out in, in uh, on a Saturday or Saturday, Sunday or whatever, and, and see what happens. That way, at least people would have, you know, a pretty good idea of uh, who would have been the winner. But and I tried to. I mentioned in my email to the guys that the 2014. Uh, year when we were co-champions because of a tie, like it was like seven overtime game or something like that was very um, unsatisfactory. I, I was like, you know, it still gnaws at me to this day. And I was like, guys, you don't want to have that feeling. Like, like you kind of want to know, like what would happen? Who would have won? And I, I maintain, I would rather lose in the semis or the finals than, than to have just a tie like in 2014 or, or nothing this like this year. So I mean, we would have to go through all the things like, is it safe and all that kind of stuff. There probably wouldn't have been a lot of fans there, but they could have broadcasted. And I thought it would be fun. I thought the players would like it. And, it's, you know, things that we do are supposed to be about the kids. But the one coach said he had two players leaving in June, so he couldn't play. And the other guy basically said it was against the rules and uh, didn't want to compromise anything OHS, which – I think we could have emailed the OHSA or called them and said, hey, can we do this? It's unofficial. It's just like pick up, you know, basically like you could play pick up hockey in the summer, right? So, right. but everybody would have known it would have been for, you know, bragging rights or whatever. But so I don't know. I mean, I, you know, as far as I know, what, what was said on your podcast, uh, some kind of braggadocio that, that didn't, uh, didn't come through in my mind. Well, I, I, I do want to mention uh, that in 2014, I remember texting you when you're on their way home on the bus and I, texted you I said hey congratulations Pat and you said well it's kind of weird because I'm coming home on a bus being declared a state champion without a trophy yeah Northfield took you, the trophy you, you, right, yeah. you remember that yeah they only, had one, they only brought one trophy to the arena and uh I, and, and, and no lie I think I ghosted you after that Pat because I didn't even know how to respond to that I was like well I just yeah. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna let this one go the only nice thing about that was I would say is you had a public school and a private school and we, they like this, they had one trophy and both teams shared it on the, like both teams took pictures with it. But I still, I mean, I have the picture from our team that 
and like half the kids are crying. You know, it's like, it was just a ridiculous ending. And uh, like I said, I would rather lose. There, there is a chance we could have lost that game. We were yeah. playing very well, but you know, it's one block shot goes the other way and they score on a breakaway and we're done. But, but I seriously, I think for like at least three months after that, I was just sick to my stomach and it's probably why I've had to have all these surgeries. <laughs> but uh, we'll go, better we'll eating go, glass we'll, in college. One or the other was. <laughs> yeah, 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 right. <laughs> right. But we'll keep that for a different co- a different show. Yeah, that's after hour show. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, let's kind of tra- move into a little bit uh, more positive news. And, and um, you know, you guys added uh, Zach Zaremba to your uh, organization this year. You know, what will his role be with the team and, and – you know, what do you think he, he's going to bring and add to the team? We know, I mean, us here in Cleveland know that he's going to be bringing a lot, but can you tell our listeners what he's going to be bringing to your organization? Well, I th- he'll be like almost like a roving skills instructor, I think would be a good way to put it. So, um, you know, whether it's skating or shooting or passing or whatever, just seeing the game, I think he can, he can be out there, you know, chatting the kids up and not having a, you know, like when you run practice and you're, you're trying to run the drill and you don't have as much time to coach as you might like. So I think he'll, he'll have that freedom just to wander around and chat up a kid here or there and, and, you know, ease his way in this year. And then, you know, it's, you gotta learn how to coach. Right. But, but he knows the game obviously. And, and then I think he'll be a, a kind of a guy who's a liaison for any kids who want to go ahead and play beyond high school, um, which is, you know, easier said than done for, as we know, for Ohio high school players, but we're hoping that, you know, more and more of, of our guys and your guys and Gilmore and U.S. and whoever advance if they want to. Um, but, uh, you know, he's had that experience playing junior and playing college, so he can speak, you know, firsthand of what it takes. And um, I'm sure from what, what I've seen and you guys have seen is not, not all physical stuff. You know, it's a lot of it's mental and being able to withstand the bus rides and, you know, like that kind of stuff that, that maybe kids when they're 12 years old aren't thinking about. Um, so we try to counsel the parents, but it's, but you know, he has a heck of a lot more credibility than I do. So, so I think he'll, those would be his probably two major roles with us. Let's go back to postseason hockey. The postseason format uh, has long been a topic of discussion. There was a poll done by the Ohio Hockey Digest and it shows about four out of five people that follow high school hockey think there needs to be more than one division of competition in the state. As a member of the coaches advisory committee for the OHSA, what can you tell us where the committee stands on this topic? And uh, as far as multiple divisions moving forward. Yeah. So I think we finally have real momentum. I think that, you know, the, the commissioner of the OHSA, like overall OHSA, Jerry Snodgrass, he, is basically in charge of hockey right now. I think he's he's trying to find uh, suitable replacements because he is just so busy in his in his major job. But um, he's a fan of hockey. He wants he understands the need to have more than one division. Uh, I think it's going to start with two. Uh, our recommendation, uh, uh, me and uh, Rob Gramps, one of my assistants, have worked on this. He's done a ton of legwork on it. I really think it should be three. Um, but I think that they want to, you know, go baby step it sort of and start with two and see how that does. But the whole point would be to, to me is, is um, to have more teams uh, capable of winning a state championship or going to the final four or, or going to a regional final or whatever district final um, and just trying to build the sport that way instead of having um, 
you know, 10 or 12 teams every given year can win. And then you have 60 or 70 who have no chance. And they have things like the Baron Cup that they can play for. And that's that's awesome for sure. But I think this way they could play for a state championship or a final four or whatever and, and build build some uh, momentum at their schools and with their fan support that way. So uh, the only reason I'm saying three is because we crunch the numbers and it's it kind of breaks down nicely that way. But, uh, but two is better than one, so we'll start with two. And I think that um, it's not for this upcoming season, but for the following year. But with Jerry behind it, and we've had some – we've basically moved beyond, like, is this going to happen more to, like, how is it going to happen? And there were uh, a couple different ways they threw out. Um, typically, the OHSA does things by enrollment, which would not work for our sport. They're, they're well aware of that. Um, Probably what, what we've come down to is probably uh, my hockey ranking seems to be the uh, fairest way and maybe the wisest way. I think they have to hash through or we have to hash through. Would it be one-year sample or two-year sample or something like that? I think that we would probably hopefully solicit input from fellow coaches to see what, what everybody else thinks because um, we don't have the, all the answers. But I think the key is that uh, it looks like it's going to happen. There, there are obviously procedural things that OHSA has to do that, that – you know, we're an advisory board, right, the coaches. So, But if we hammer it all out and kind of tee it up for them, then uh, I, I would think that it would get approved if Jerry's behind it. Um, so, from, so from one coach to another, what's the process that needs to happen to make sure that this, that this, this becomes reality? Like what needs to really happen? Um, Jerry, not to leave the OHSA. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, you, you mentioned that that it's not like if it's going to happen, it's when and, and how it's going to happen. So it's obviously a, a very uh, good topic. You know, it's it's in something that we push for. I mean, Pat, you and I have talked about this numerous times yeah. throughout the last 15, 17 years about this. Um, Process-wise, and I know, I know you guys are just an advisory board and then – hopefully us other coaches that are not on the advisory board would have some input as well, but process wise with the Ohio high school athletic association, what would they like, what needs to happen for them to say, okay, this is going to, this is going to push forward. Yeah. So I think that, uh, you know, we've been pushing for this for, we've been pushing hard for a couple of years and there were some roadblocks that occurred, but um, with the current personnel, I think we're, that really helps. Um, we need to meet more often, and that's been one of our recommendations. We just had a meeting, like a Zoom meeting or whatever, pretty recently. And, you know, just honestly, hockey is not one of the top, you know, priority sports in the state. It's just not. So we, uh, you know, some years we've met like twice. Like that's, I'm like, we have to meet at least quarterly, and we have to keep this on the front burner, which we will. Uh, and I think we have to do a lot of the legwork, you know, for them. We want to, we want to just bring it to them like ready-made and just say, would you sign off on this? So I think that's where we have to get the input from uh, the other coaches around the state of whoever cares to have input. Um, you know, I think they're going to expand the membership of the advisory board, which is probably overdue because uh, yeah, if you want on, absolutely. I know Malloy is getting added. Um, I think we just lost someone from this area too. So it might be an opening too for you. Um, the, the Toledo guy right now is Mike Jones, who hasn't coached in you know, like four years or something like that. Um, 
they also have a guy from Oregon Clay up there. And then I think the uh, Cincinnati rep retired from coaching recently. So, so that so, kind of stuff. So just, so just so our view, our, our listeners uh, can clear this up. You don't have to be an active coach to be on the, on the coaching advisory board. I don't think they have a really, <laughs> I don't think they have a great constitution <laughs> that, you know, defines roles, but I think that, you know, Mike Jones was on there and he, he wanted to stay on there and nobody, I mean, people like Mike. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying anything. I mean, Mike's Mike right. definitely he's got the mind for it. I just, right. I mean, I just want to make sure that our listeners understand that well, so some of this advisory board is not active coaching and that's okay because. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I think if there were like 10 guys on the board, it would be a little more palatable. And again, I, I, I like Mike a lot, but when you're not intimately involved every day, it's a little bit different. You know, he, he's probably, I think he's coaching his younger children, which is great, but you're just not seeing the day-to-day, you know, like the, like this uh, NFHS USA hockey thing. Like he, I don't know if he would be in the loop on that one or not. You know, it's just, it's, why would you be? There's no reason to be. Right. So I would like to see it be many more act, you know, at least 90% active coaches. I think the key will just, we need to add like five coaches uh, from all different parts of the state and, um, uh, if you want to be one, I'd, I would be happy to to uh, recommend you. And it's just you just yeah, need we, 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 we'll, we can definitely talk off uh, off air. And, and I mean, you know, you know me, Pat. I've always been, you know, somebody that wants to be a part of of the best for our state of Ohio. I think we should have been been in two divisions for a long time. I mean, you know, where I coached for sixteen years, and I mean, hell, that should have been a you know, if I could have probably ran off six state championships over there right yeah if it was in two divisions right every other yeah. sports every other sports in divisions um so yeah, yeah I mean, we, we can talk off off air about that but yeah i'd love to be a part of that yeah i mean it should i mean i don't think a lot of guys who vote in the top 10 of the coaches poll those guys are pretty responsible and they're you know we are pretty well vetted that would be a nice group but um but the uh the other there's a couple of like so yeah a lot of other sports have multiple divisions there's some they have rules like you're supposed to have like a hundred and Blah, blah, 50 teams or something in order to start breaking divisions, but they'll, they'll overlook that. I think for us, um, there's also some concern about, um, you know, I don't know if they would do, let's say there's 80 teams in the state, would they do 40 and 40 or will there be some kind of, uh, you know, I think it'll be a little bit like relegation, like the English soccer leagues now where if, if after a two year, so let's say they do two years of my hockey rankings, if you're, uh, you know, ranked 52nd, then you would be in division two. And is there some kind of petition process to move up or down? Uh, there's some kind of fear that, that more teams would actually petition to move down and you might have a division one with like 20 teams in division two of 60. Now they may be okay with that. I don't know. Um, I, I just don't know how much they're going to want teams to, you know, you want people to feel comfortable and, and people uh, I think would be honest, like, hey, I had a really good senior class this year, and then it drops off, and we got to bring it back up for a couple of years. So that that could be very interesting how that plays out. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you on that. I mean, I think about the football side of it, and and I I may completely be wrong here, but in Division One football, don't they take twelve teams in each? Now, uh, uh, and we can change each region. Each region they take twelve teams, but like division two, three, four, and five, it's only eight teams. Now, and, and JJ, we can. If I'm totally wrong, we'll cut this 
thing out. Yeah, I, <laughs> I think it was. I think it was eight teams up until this year, but I think they just expanded it to maybe twelve. For I don't know if it's for all. I I just right. know for Division One. So, so I guess I guess my point of bringing that up there, there's an imbalance there as well in Division One yeah. football or Division Two, Three, whatever. You know. So yeah, I mean, what, but what if it ended up being like ten and stuff? Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, it can't be that. So, I mean, we can't. So do yeah, that. I, I don't know what they'll do. I I I, um, I do remember being. Uh, part of the Greater Cleveland League a couple of years ago, and and being surprised when they had the movement vehicle. Like we got bumped down, um, I think it was like 2006 or so, and you know we just went down and took our medicine, won the division, you know, and came back up. Um, and then there were other years where like teams would get would win a lower division and earn the right to move up, and then they would choose not to, and not just in the red, but uh, uh, that that was eye opening to me. So I I do wonder what would happen here, but it's, I don't really care. I mean, as, I think if it was as long as there was like twenty four teams or something like that, there's probably some number where it's like, okay, this is a reasonable. But if it's if it's like eight teams, you know, and seventy one, that's a little bit goofy. But I, right. I don't know what would happen. Who knows? Well, let me but let it, me ask you this question, and and I, I may be misstepping when asking this, but how do you not use how do you not put it in the hands of those that govern those regions day to day? Meaning you would take, we'll speak strictly from Cleveland. Well, hell, all of them. You take the GLHL, the red division. There's and group them with Toledo's red with Columbus's red Cincinnati's red. And however you break, the only problem would be where you break into, into white. Does white go one? Does one white go two? Then you have your blue, so to speak, that would be your two. And, and so each league basically is set up with its own movement vehicle. So if you have a, a bad year, bad two years, whatever, your league moves you from, let's say, red to white. Now, did you just enter Division Two? Did you enter Division One? Do you know I what I'm saying? That's, that's a great idea. Yeah, I, I had not thought of that. Uh, that's why it's important to solicit advice from other people. You know, it's that's, not... that's, that's why I hire them, dude. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> I'm editing um, that out. Uh, <laughs> no, but seriously, but seriously, if yeah, if, no, if, if as you as you stated as you stated earlier, and and we all know this because we've done this for too long now, is that the state looks at us, and I'm not going to say as 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 a, as a as a stepchild or whatever, but we are not on the front burner, so to speak, of their thought process. So why do they want to take all the control of it? So if you can, and I don't mean like. They want, they're not greed. I don't mean the greed or anything like yeah. that. They want to have to say that they did this. No, but why aren't you putting some of the help and control into the hands of these individual leagues that work hard day in and day out to make sure there's somewhat competitive balance in each region? So put it in their hands. So if, I oh, was it, uh, Kelber's the, the head of the Greater Cleveland High School Hockey League. So if Kelber has movement in, in the Greater Cleveland High School Hockey League, well, that has implications for a division in the state championship. I think I that they would be open to that. I don't think they have uh, any sense at all that they, they want to be – I think they're asking for ideas is my sense. Okay. And that's – when they started out with the enrollment thing, we were like, that's not, you know, no. that's not happening. Like, you look at, like, a school like Mason, it's huge, but hockey's not big there. So, what? that doesn't make any sense. Or even, like, St. Xavier. Not or to say that they – Or, like, university never, school. But, university school, if you go by enrollment, it would be down – Right. Or Gilmore. Yep. John just told us they got 490 students in the school. Right. 125 yeah, so. of them are hockey players between boys and girls. Seriously. He just, I, I believe he it. He yeah. told us that. Yeah. So, so that, that would be a division two if they do a final. You can't do that. No, 
Um, so there, so I think there should be some structure. Jason, I really like your idea about the leagues, the different top leagues throughout the state. Makes perfect sense to me. And then, like you said, with the white divisions or, or there's some wiggle room and some room for petition, but I, I would be happy to present that to, uh, to the, uh, the OHSA board. That makes a lot of sense. But I think that, you know, I think that what we want to do is solicit ideas, try and come up with the best solution. If it's, if it's, uh, you know, your idea or my hockey or some combination, who cares? Yeah. Just get it right. You know? Well, I, right. I have another question along the lines of growing the game. We, we ask all of our, our guests on the show to, to talk about basically growing the game and some of them just do it. And some of them, you know, have ideas to help it. I, I know that the OHSA is, and you may not have this answer, and, and but I'm just throwing it out there because I got you here, is mm-hmm. the OHSA is still under contract with Nationwide. Is there <laughs> any sort of talk to move the state championship the way they should have? And especially since all these regions are growing, why not move it all around? And, 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 and let, let's be, and Pat, correct me if I'm wrong here, but we're only in year three of a 10-year deal, right? I think you're right, yeah. We, we have brought that up all the time and I'll just be brutally honest with you because um that's what we want to do here right right um, and and you and you've had experience more than anybody in the state of playing in those semifinal games and the final games down there and I know you're on the committee pat but we want the honest yeah answer. no i mean cuz i i have pushed for this and it's it's um almost immediately met with um uh, you know, you get shot down quickly. So two things I would say. One is if they move the two divisions, which sounds like it's going to happen, that's going to cause something to happen because they can't, the the nation, there, there are nationwide and blue jackets guys on the, on the board that we, we work with, we that we advise. Uh, And they're, you know, they have a hard enough time putting on three games. There's no way they can do six. They, they've came out and admitted that. Um, So, then I think you would have uh, what they said, and this is just an initial thing, but they said that maybe both championship games would be at Nationwide, and then like your state semis would be at more like a regional site, like at like a Brooklyn or BG or you know wherever. Um, there are some you know nice facilities like Miami and, and Youngstown and, and the Wall of Light. The yeah, Wall of Light. Yeah. 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 Now some of those I don't know. Even like OSU, there there are some conflicts potentially with like big 10, you know, conference tournament. If like, if the home team is hosting a best of three, you know, we can't predict if OSU is going to be one of those top, you know, the host teams each year. So there, there are some venue issues, but there's not no issues with like Brooklyn and some other places that, you know, I'm sure we could find. Um, so, you know, my question on that was that's, we'll talk about that and then we'll go back to the, how it is currently, but you know, if you play the states like we don't play the state semis like football does, like on Friday and then the next Friday. Like we play it Saturday, Sunday, or you know, but maybe it would be Friday, Sunday, or something like that. Maybe it's a Friday night game at, at Brooklyn or BG or Tam or wherever where it's packed, and that would be a pretty cool atmosphere. Um, this year would have been say Ignatius and Gilmore. You know, that would have been a cool thing instead of looking out at empty seats. You know, and just a cavern. And, doesn't feel like anybody's there. Um, but I, I don't know if you could do, I don't know if you could, maybe you could do those games on Saturday and then go down to Columbus on Sunday, but you're, you know, I, I guess you'd have to drive down the night of Saturday night and then sleep over. 
I don't think you'd want to drive up on Sunday morning and, and almost for sure it would be a morning game still because they, they have NHL or WWE or concerts or, yeah. you know, they, they we, so, so it's so, so that's bad. One it's thing. so bad. I just have to say it's terrible. What are you creating there? I mean, look, well, I understand big money. I get it. I understand why Nationwide has to bump hockey because of a Bon Jovi concert. I get that. Why they couldn't let you guys compete off of seven overtimes because there was a commitment later. Look, these kids play six games in a weekend. Yeah. Seven overtimes well, isn't going to hurt them. And, we, and no so, disrespect to all the participants. No, we, we could have kept playing. There's no doubt about that. Um, but there are some other pro teams. Like I know the Blackhawks for sure. I believe uh, Minnesota, uh, there may be some other ones where they, you know, they can ask the NHL for certain weekends that's just to be blacked out for like, we don't want to have home games, like the circus is a town or whatever. Yeah. If they prioritize high school hockey, they could do that. They could black out whatever that week, March 13th or whatever it is. Yeah. And make those kids be the stuff. Like they, they do it at some of those places. They do it up with the spotlights and the, you know, the smoke machine like you guys used to have and all that stuff. You know, I mean, they make it, they make it, they, they make them feel, I mean, they make them feel like pros, you know. Pat, the Minnesota and, High School Hockey Championship's like a, a damn near becoming a national treasure. Like, and it's you, like you can watch it on out, YouTube. Right? It's phenomenal all yeah. the time. Yeah, better hair than you got. Um, oh, damn. <laughs> wow. Oh, Pat, come, you, and I, come, you and I cannot come, speak about no, that. No, you're right. Yeah, hey, a couple, couple of shiny heads are really going to come with this? Come on. Hey. Uh, <laughs> and I got, the, I got the sun coming through the window right now. Yeah. We, look like a, we look like a carton of eggs. <laughs> but, uh, that's, been, that's been my point. And, you're, you know, like you said, we've been fortunate enough to be down there enough to get different experiences. I've had some – you know, less than optimal experiences. Um, uh, the first time we went down, I will admit it was cool. We were in a pro building. Um, I think this. I think the Blues were there practicing, and, and for some reason, like they were in the locker room right next to us. I remember Kachuk gave uh, Michael Abood a stick. I think and they, they were like really cool and wishing us luck and all that kind of stuff, and kind of actually kind of broke some of the tension for our kids. But then there's been a lot of years where it's like when you go to your grandma's house, she's got the plastic on the couch, you know, and it's like, don't touch the fine china. <laughs> I mean, it is. You know, it's like, it's like you're uh, basically second-class citizens. And, um, shit, and, I got to uh, tell my wife, take the plastic off the couch. <laughs> it's, it's not a priority. Uh, you know, it's been, there's been many years, including this year, where the original dates were changed, you know, like midway through the year even, because – John Bon Jovi decided to come to town or whatever. Hey, like you said, that's fine. Good for them. But but I would much rather have it be somewhere where it is like the the only show in town. They treat the kids like rock stars or, or um, do it upright. Um, it's there's no way you can make a you know a twenty thousand seat facility feel intimate and and the sport the best you know like the district finals are the best games of the year because there's two three thousand people hanging you know right. Right next to you, like it was like the old Boston Gardener, so they're, they're yeah. throwing beer on you, basically. Um, you can't beat that. So if they could replicate that somehow, you know, that's what we keep saying. They're, they they just keep saying, you know, it's free. I think they get it for free, first of all, but I don't think that – I think other rinks will probably do it for free. But they are – I know they're locked into a contract. Um, it just – I don't know. I, I It's uh, – I don't know of a lot of people who like it. Like yeah, down there. And for our listeners that might not know much about, 
you know, like other sports in the state. Does the football state championship happen at uh, Buckeye Stadium in a seating of 110,000 people? Not anymore. No, right. I know it was when we were in high school, I think. Right. But uh, not anymore. They moved it in Canton, right? Right. Canton. Yeah. And some other play. I think one other uh, uh, field as well. What about basketball? I mean, so they, they, they make these, they make them more intimate for, for the kids. Um, the atmosphere. You know, it does great. Wrestling is, does great with the, the, the uh, parade of champions. All, like they, that's like a incredible atmosphere. Um, you know, how, yeah, like you said, how are you going to grow the sport when, you know, it's, right. it's, 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 it's just weird. Like you're, the fans are behind you. So when you're sitting on the bench looking straight ahead, which you do most of the game, you're looking at just, just a sea of empty seats. Yes. And um, there's no, you know, no atmosphere, no noise. It's, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I don't want to blame them. I'm sure that they like to, I think they like to have things in Columbus because it's easier for the trophy distribution and all that kind of stuff. But uh, I would. Then have it at the talk. fairgrounds. Have it at the fairgrounds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, I can tell you that we've brought it up multiple times and, and it, like we get shot down like within 10 seconds. Um, yeah. And, they, you know, they, they talk about, you know, they, they try to do some nice things for the kids, but there are, like, I remember my son was, uh, you know, he's with me all the time, right? And he was down there and he didn't have the proper, you know, lanyard or whatever. And like, they can't, they like yanked him away. Like they made him sit at this table by himself for like two hours. <laughs> like that was not, that wasn't very user-friendly, you know? Yeah, so, right. um, well, well, maybe with this, um, hopefully going into two divisions, Pat, that's going to force the hand of, of the state because, you know, I mean, nationwide can't handle, like you said, they can't handle six games, let alone three. So maybe that will, uh, will do it. Um, you know, real quick before we, uh, uh, end it today, we kind of ask a lot of our guys, uh, that we talked to men and women that we talked to, we talked to a couple of uh, ladies already about the, uh, the women's game, you know, what, what, do you, what's your perspective and what do you think needs to happen to properly grow the game? Uh, in our state, you know, a, a game that is, you know, not a major game behind football, basketball, wrestling, baseball, you know, what, what can, what do you think we need to do to grow this game? Well, I think it starts at the youth level. Um, you know, and I think that as I think about things, um, you know, like right now, baseball, major league baseball may be making a big, big, big mistake. Uh, if they don't have a season, you know, over billionaires and billionaires fighting over money, again, that could be that could be fatal for them. It's already viewed as a boring sport by kids. You know, a kid, you're, you know, you're sitting out there. <laughs> you remember the kid in right field with his glove on his head, right? That's I mean, that's yeah. There's not, not that much action, especially now in the pros. It's all like home runs and strikeouts. So you're not seeing triples and stolen bases and stuff like that. Um, so in a way, I think I'm looking more at sports like, you know, like football participation is way down because of the concussion issue. Right. I'm not wishing ill on either of those sports, but um, I think we're, we might be a viable alternative to, to people who want action, who want physicality, but um, not crazy, like not like, um, you know, what appears to happen in football where there's, you know, you get so many guys with CTE. Um, I think that the skill is a little different than when we played. I think we would all agree to that if we had truth serum. I mean, my, I remember playing with a wooden stick that weighed 30 pounds at the end of the game because all the sweat and all that stuff and never thought about what flex it was or things like yeah. that. And these kids are, these kids, you know, it's different. It's less physical, uh, which some of us 
don't like and some you know there's some of us are like don jerry like you know it's still like the euros and those are the guys those are the the swedes and you know the russians and and some of the more skillful north americans are that's where it's going and and it's probably a good thing because it's it makes for good highlights and and kids are you know that's what they're watching they're watching highlights on their phone um so you know i think the three of us are kind of like finisher check kind of guys uh and there's nothing wrong with that but i think it's i think the game is going in a good direction probably like soccer where it's like it's just becoming more and more and more skillful um and i think that i think that soccer uh lacrosse and hockey might be the beneficiaries of of um what appears to be a, a downward trend in participation in football and then you know again if baseball doesn't play their cards right here um and i really i'm really kind of hoping that the nhl goes to this schedule where they might start on uh, with the winter classic because nobody's watching our sport in October, <laughs> November, right. December with football going, college football and other playoffs and stuff going. So I don't know. I mean, people might like to duck out in a, on a 90 degree day in June or July and, and go to a hockey rink. Um, I don't know. Those are my thoughts. What, do, what are you guys thinking? Well, yeah, I, I mean, I'm with you about the youth side of, as, as well. You know, I, I think John uh, Malloy talked earlier about we give kids an opportunity to play a sport even if they've never played before right so they can like i mean football and basketball does that as well but we've also gotten into this thing to where we have opportunities for kids that have never played the game before to get involved in the game doesn't matter if you're six years old or if you're 15 years old you know there's there's avenues out there to do that i just think that we get we need to make those avenues a little bit more prominent and a little bit more uh you know visible you know, and less I, expensive maybe too. Yeah. Well, and that's, you know, that's another thing, you know, I was thinking about that when, when coach Malloy was talking, you know, what, what can the Federation, what can USA hockey, can there be grants that we can, you know, all that other stuff can they offer us because you're right. It's too expensive. And he even mentioned it. He's like, there are, there are really, really good hockey players out there that have never put a pair of skates on because they can't afford it. Yeah. Well, and I mean, frankly, with the events of the last couple of weeks, we do a little self-assessment here our sport is pretty lily white, you know, still. And, yeah. and I think we, there are a lot of kids out there who might be priced out, like you said, or just never thought of it. But, but if they see these cool highlights, like, you, you know, they can, you can shoot pucks in your backyard, right? You can shoot street hockey balls. And I think that, that guys uh, are so athletic and talented that it would only help our sport if we could expand more beyond, you know, sort of suburbia and, and, and probably being 95% white. Um, you know, I think baseball's trying to do the same thing there too, RBI and some of that stuff. Right. Um, so well, I, I, know. I know they have, what is it? Hockey day in America. And they, they have a try hockey for free weekend. And they have the, the diversity program with USA hockey and they have, um, uh, and they got a couple other things. They're one day. Yeah. They're one weekend. And and I'm not saying that, that no, you're right. It's... Any answers, but, you have a summer that they need to sell ice. Well, like you said, it's 90 degrees outside. Let's go on the ice rink for a half hour, for an hour, yeah. for 15 minutes. Throw the skates on. Give them a stick. Yeah. Throw a helmet, some elbow pads on, whatever. Try it. Yeah, maybe we need to take it, sort of take it to the streets ourselves and, and uh, get out there. And I, I know I, um, you know, I haven't, haven't done a great effort myself with that. So I'm just trying to reassess things and, Maybe maybe you don't even start with skates. Maybe you start out with just tennis shoes and, and a street hockey stick and, and 
where you can, you know, kind of make some fancy moves and like, oh, this is pretty cool. And then you then you progress to skates. I, I think it's something that maybe we could talk about. Maybe it's like an advisory board issue too, where we can try and expand participation. I think that they did this a couple of years ago with girls, and it's been a smashing success, right? So it's been booming. It's been booming. Yeah, nobody might have predicted maybe people would have been naysayers then but the proof is in the pudding so um i think it would be good for both it would be like you know symbiotic like it would be good for our sport and and good for the kids in in uh you know sort of underserved areas that don't play our sport a lot it probably would be um a win-win situation so i mean i don't want to date i don't want to date guys but you know you look at when when we all started and there were the in-house programs Mm-hmm. And there were full, you know, Parma had them, Winterhurst had them, North Olmsted had them for the, for the ones that we played at. You had full six to eight teams for just in-house yeah. and your travel. So there were just, it's, I know there are a lot of kids playing. I know there's a lot of people playing hockey. I get that. But I think that we're not hitting, uh, uh, I guess, a demographic or, or we're not hitting the numbers we should be hitting. And we got to figure out why that is. There has to be enough equipment around that we can yeah. pull it. Yeah. You know, whether it's through the youth organizations and, and through the high schools. And I mean, I don't know. I mean, at the end well, of the day, it's a greatest sport going and we need to still be better. Yeah. The other thing is too, like with the youth thing, um, you know, I have had mixed feelings about the uh, moving the contact up and up in age, but Maybe, maybe the more you think about it, maybe it makes sense to, to try and be inclusive at the younger ages and keep them in the sport where maybe they will develop a love for it before they start getting knocked around. And then, you know, so, sometimes the first time a guy gets hit, he's out of the sport, you know. So, yeah, yeah. again, some of the old school that I think all of us grew up with might be counterproductive. And, and even though it's still in your heart somewhere, you know, I think that um, the number one priority should be let's let's grow the sport. So. Um, you know, we can teach them how to hit eventually, but, uh, you know, they're, they're even, I mean, almost all the rules that, that you see coming out, I have to do with uh, moving away from the, the big, you know, Scott Stevens type hits and the yeah. open ice. Uh, it's more like if you're not trying to dislodge the puck, then you ain't hitting. Right. And they're starting to call it that way. So, so, you know, I guess we all have to adjust to that. And um, maybe that's a good thing for the youth, uh, for the, the youth level kids. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, Coach, hey, we appreciate your time being with us today, talking a little bit about uh, your season um, and then a lot that you have to do with the state of Ohio and all that you're working uh, to help grow the game. We appreciate that. Um, You know, again, we as a coach, no matter where we coach, would have loved to seen the end of a season. Um, So I'm sorry for to you and to your boys that that did not happen. Um, But um, you know, we, we know that we talked to all four now, all four coaches and we, it, the, the sentiments have been pretty much the same across the board that it's, you know, we feel bad as adults, but we definitely feel uh, horrible for those young men that, uh, could have had the opportunity hey, to, the offer still stands. <laughs> well, Hey, I'm not, I'm not involved. So. I know, but you got a podcast going. So maybe some people will hear it and I don't care. I have no shame. I, I'm like, let's play. Right. No, I, I, I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, play play what was it vince member vincent from uh, color money let's play play yeah yeah let's play you know? yeah no money let's play play <laughs> so 
Well, Coach, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it, man. Uh, stay well, and uh, we look forward to seeing you back on the ice in uh, November. Always nice talking to you two guys. Thanks, man. What a great show we had today, uh, talking to two uh, really good guys uh, in the Cleveland community when it comes to hockey. Um, not only just high school hockey, but all hockey. I mean, being able to talk, talk to um, John Malloy, or as I should say, Sir John Malloy, um, and Jay, you and I had the privilege to play for coach uh, and when Team Ohio back in the day. So um, it was nice to be able to talk to him, hear what he had to say about uh, how hockey, the state of hockey is today. Um, so it was really good to catch up with coach. John Malloy is a fantastic storyteller. He's he's been around for a very long time, and that's not to date him. That's just to say that he's seen a lot. He's done a lot. He's uh, he's just a good person. He his heart is in the in the perfect place to grow the game, and, and he's done that <laughs> ever since he started coaching. So it was just a, another fun int- episode to where uh, we got to listen and learn. So it was, it was pretty cool to do. Yeah, and and. For the listeners out there, I can tell this small little story, but, you know, Jay, when you and I started this whole coaching adventure, what, 18 years ago now, mm-hmm. um, Coach Malloy was one of the guys, as I mentioned in our interview, was one of the guys that was always there that we could lean on and, and get information from and take advice from. And, uh, you know, hopefully we can uh, pay it forward as the same way that a guy like John Malloy did it for us. Yeah, I just hope he stops saying, uh, you know, you guys come over and beat us all the time. That that's that's getting old, John. Come on. Yeah, well that didn't happen last year, I can tell you that. <laughs> so and then we had the chance to talk to Pat O'Rourke, head coach of St. Ignatius High School. Uh really good chat with Pat. I thought it was a a chat a really good chat about the state of uh, hockey in Ohio, uh more on the uh directive side and when when we talk about two divisions, how would we do it? Um so it was a good chat with him. And I uh, look forward to seeing what uh, the state's going to do uh, moving forward. Pat's definitely no holds barred in this interview. Um, that's for sure. He, uh, he, he, it's a lot of stuff that, that most people don't know of how long it takes things to get done through the OHSAA and, and what they have going on. And, well, I mean, there's a, a few theories on why that is. And Pat touched on a main one. And, hey, man, it, it – we've known Pat for a very long time. And, and to be honest, Pat's a polarizing figure. You know, you either like what he's doing at, at his, uh, his school or you don't. And either way, he's another guy still trying to grow the game and, and for the betterment of the state. And it was cool to get the insight on what actually is going on. And it's pretty cool if all this does come to fruition. Definitely. It gives uh, more schools and more kids an opportunity to play for something at the end of the year. And I think that's ultimately what we're striving for. Um, well, guys, the rinks are starting to open up. We're getting some guys on the ice, some ladies on the ice. Um, I think we're not we're not getting back to normal, but it's going to feel a little bit normal. Uh, I look forward to getting back on the ice here the next couple weeks with our guys. Uh, but that'll do it for us this week for the Dime. We'd like to thank our guests for joining us from Gilmore Academy, head coach John Malloy, and from St. Ignatius High School, head coach Pat O'Rourke. Ten shows in the books, boys, and many more exciting people to bring to you. Check us out next week when we don the stripes and pull up the orange armbands. It's the referee edition of On Air. We'll be sitting down with local referee who's a mainstay in the college ranks, as well as the Ohio High School Athletic Association, Mr. Guy Bradshaw, will be joining us. And from the NHL Official Association, retired NHL referee Don Van 
Massenhoven will be here. You can find the on-air podcast at www.ohiohockeydigest.com with full episodes archived as well as a list of future guests. You can also subscribe to On Air on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Continue to grow the game as best you can. This is On Air, the Ohio Hockey Digest podcast. To all the ladies in the place with style and grace, allow me to lace these lyrical dishes in your bushes. Who rock grooves and make moves with all the mommies? The back of the club, sipping my wet is where you find me. The back of the club, macking holes, my crew's behind me. Mad question.